Good morning. It's uh, really lovely to see you this morning. We're continuing uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, so we're into chapter 13. And uh, we're going to, uh, we've kind of been following the first king of Israel. We've been following Saul. We've seen his, his rise uh, to become king. We've seen how things have started. Uh, now, sadly, we're, we're on the, uh, the side where we're starting to see the fall and starting to see uh, how things go wrong. Uh, and it's not, it's not pleasant or easy to, uh, to look at things when they go wrong or to see how someone has uh, been in such a position but has, has fallen from grace. It's not, it's not pleasant, but it is important and it is valuable. And it is necessary. A little while ago, um, I, I went to a conference that was put on by a church in Solihull called Renewal. And uh, it's a, it a free Methodist conference. Uh, it was called, and somebody said it's called Summit. I thought that's a strange name for a conference because that just means something where I come from. <laughs> uh, turns out it actually means the uh, peak or top of a mountain. Um, but uh, So I went off to Summit. And <clears throat> it just uh, feeds into the general idea of people don't really know what I do. <laughs> I do it does summit. Um, anyway, off we went. And, uh, and one of the sessions was taken by a lady called Amy R. Ewing. And I'd not heard of her before. I'd not come across her before. Um, but she, uh, for a time, had, had worked for uh, an organization uh, that was connected to Ravi Zacharias. And, uh, and, and, and if, you, if you may or may not know, but, but Ravi Zacharias was a fairly prominent Christian leader, evangelist, um, into apologetics as well. And some things came to light about his behavior and his conduct and his character, um, which, were, which were very distressing and brought a lot of pain and a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. And, uh, and Amy Ewing entitled a session Integrity. And, and, and with us, it was an hour and a half, it was just one, one session, she processed some of the, the things that had happened uh, and perhaps some of the things that had been missed, some of the warnings maybe that had been missed, some of the processes that just hadn't quite been there um, to, uh, to stop or at least restrict some of the things that had happened. And it wasn't an easy session. Uh, it, was, it was quite challenging as, uh, as we, we thought about it and then we applied it to our own situations. But it was valuable, it was important and it was necessary. And so as we dig into 1 Samuel 13, um, it's, uh, it's, it's not the sort of exciting winning victory sort of passage, but it is a significant one. And we're going to seek to see what we can learn about, about God and who he is about ourselves and, and life. We're not just going to pull apart Saul because we can re- probably associate with him and relate to him quite easily in lots of ways. But we're going to see what we can learn. I'm going to read some of it for us. We're 1 Samuel 13. I'll read from verse 2 to verse 15. It's well worth reading the whole chapter if you can later on, but we'll just stay in those verses this morning. And it's really only the start of the story. We'll come to the context in a minute. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash in the hill country of Bethel and 1,000 with Jonathan at Gibeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. 
Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines, and the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. Notice that's just where Saul had been. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, a time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the sacrifice, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you would have been established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. Because you've not kept the Lord's command. Then Samuel went to Gilgal, left Gilgal and went up to Gibeah in Benjamin. And Saul counted the men who were with him and they numbered 600. Right, let's. Let's see what we can do as we examine this together. Samuel, uh, Saul, sorry, is in this rather difficult situation. He, he sees the enemy is, uh, is, is amassing. He's under a lot of pressure. His people are afraid. And he's been told to wait to make this sacrifice. Uh, but he can't wait any longer. And he makes it. And, uh, and when Samuel arrives, he says, you've done a foolish thing. In not obeying the Lord's command. I wonder what's the first things that are crossing your mind and filling your heart at the moment as you read that or as you hear it. I wonder if, the, if there's a part of you that thinks that, that, seems, that seems a little bit harsh. That, 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 seems, that seems a very strong consequence. Well, let, let's, let's press in a little bit and see if we can unpack this and, and, and see what we can learn together as we do it. If we have questions as we read the Bible, that's not a problem. That's not a problem. Let, let's press in to find some answers. To do that, we're just going to zoom out for a moment and get a, a sense of, of where we're at. I know we've got to do a little bit of work to get there, but, but where we're going, I think, is really well worth it. Chapter 10. 
Saul has, has, uh, has become king. And remember, he started looking for his, his dad's donkeys and he was a kind of a, quite a humble man. Things had started well. Chapter 11, Saul leads the people to an amazing victory. A different enemy, the Ammonites come and, uh, and, and they're attacking and they're, they're bringing a lot of shame and disgrace on the people. And Saul, filled with the spirit, says, assemble, like, let's get an, an army together. 330,000 soldiers gather around him. And they go and they have this incredible victory in chapter 11. And, and this is what the people have been wanting. This is why we wanted a king to lead us out in battle. This amazing victory. And they gather together at Gilgal, the same place they're here now. And they celebrate and they confirm Saul as king. And then last week, in, in, we looked at chapter 12. Christy helped us explore that together. And we saw that Samuel told the people uh, uh, in his kind of closing remarks to them. And he said, it's been a foolish thing to ask for a king. It's a dangerous thing you've done to ask for a king in, in, in rejecting God and looking to a man. But God will still bless you. You'll still stay close if you stick close to him. And this is what he said at the end of the chapter we just looked at last week. Chapter 12, verse 20. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Verse 24, he repeats it. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. So, so, so where we've left off is this idea that what's going on in your heart is really important. Serve the Lord with all your heart. And then we'll come back to the sacrifice in a minute. And then when, when Samuel says to him, to Saul, that your kingdom's been taken off you, what, what, who's the replacement? Who has God found to take this place? 1 Samuel 13, verse 13. You've done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, you'd established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. After his own heart. Serve the Lord with all your heart. You haven't done. The problem is that you, you've, you've made a mistake. You've got something wrong. We'll come to that. The person who will take your position will be somebody after my own heart. And then if we were to keep going and see David anointed as king, you might well know the story. Samuel goes and he sees David's brothers, tall, handsome, uh, have everything going for them. But what does God say? The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider their appearance or his height for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at things as people look at them. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the, the, the problem here with for Saul is there's a problem inside. There's a problem in his heart. And there's evidence of that inactivity, but there's a problem inside. I wonder if you've heard of Walk Through the Bible. Uh, Walk Through the Bible's an organization. They go into uh, churches, schools, and uh, they kind of do this overview of the Bible timeline and storyline. So if, if we're in this room, they would have uh, the River Jordan down the middle and you'd be remembering where things happened and when, kind of put it all together. It's, ve it's very good. And, th and they give you like words and actions to help you remember significant parts of what's happening in the storyline, the Old Testament. And what they do for, for Saul and David and Solomon, actually, is they refer to their heart. They say, Saul, no heart. 
David whole heart, Solomon half heart. And that's a simplistic approach. It's simple, but it's, but it's quite helpful. Saul has no heart, it would seem. And so what I want to do is just notice two things, two evidences of that in his activity and then land it in, in our own lives. So what does it mean for us? First of all, what's this evidence of, of, uh, of no heart? Saul has no heart to serve others. I, I, Saul's a complex character and his story fluctuates. That's why it's so easy to relate to. But this is, the evidence, this is what we're, we're picking out from this chapter. We have to do a bit of digging though. If we go back to when uh, Saul was initially uh, made king, God appears to Samuel and he, and he says, I'm going to show you who's going to be king. And this is what he says. 1 Samuel 9, 16. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anointing ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people and their cry has reached me. So Saul is going to be king. That's going to be his role. That's, what his, that's his service. And, and, and what he's going to be do as king is going to be the one who leads the people to freedom over their enemies. He's going to lead them to victory. He's going to be the one who, who's going to take them forward and, and, and get them out of the trouble they're in and lead them into something better. That was the purpose, one of the purposes of his rule as king. And he began that way in chapter 11. Remember, he had 330,000 soldiers and they've just beaten the, the, the Ammonites. And now, just a year later, he's got 3,000 soldiers. And if we keep reading, we would see that only he and Jonathan are the only ones in the whole army who have a sword. So I've got some questions as to what's happened here. They've just defeated a whole army. Where's all their supplies? Where are all their weapons? Where's all the stuff that they have, 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 have achieved? Where's all the spoils of war, all that equipment? And, and 330,000 uh, troops down to three is quite a reduction. And what's he doing? He's got 2,000 soldiers around him. While the rest of the people are in such trouble. They're, they're, they're under pressure if you carry on reading in 13, that they, there's no blacksmiths in, in Israel. They've got to go to the Philistines to have their tools sharpened. and they're, they're, It's just kind of a, a picture of, of the pressure and oppression they're under. So while everyone is under pressure, while, while people's lives are falling apart around him, he has 2,000 soldiers around him. He's doing okay. And when the battle does begin, when, it, when the fight does start, it's Jonathan who kicks it off. Jonathan, it seems to be a very effective military leader. He seems very brave, very courageous. He seems a very capable man. He would have made a good king. But Saul's not, Saul's not fighting. He's just surrounded by his men. It seems to me there's just a bit of a sense that, that, that Saul has opportunity. He has position. He has a calling. And he's not doing anything with it. We say, well, he doesn't seem to be doing very much wrong. He doesn't seem to have done much. Maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't seem to be doing very much. Remember the story Jesus told about uh, the, the king who gave talents to his servants. 
and, and he gave one five and he put it to work and got another five. He gave one two and he put them to work and got another two. And he gave uh, one talent to someone and they went and buried it. And what does Jesus say to, through, through the parable to that servant? It says, you wicked servant. That was that, you've done nothing. You had something and you've done nothing with it. There seems to be a, a sense of, of a lack of heart to serve. And, and just one more thing, and, and, and for you to weigh up, to, to, to chew over for yourself. Here he is, he's, he's surrounded by the men, and he's waiting for Samuel to come and offer this sacrifice. And, uh, and it's, it's a really tense situation. People are leaving. They're crossing over to the other side. In fact, the next chapter we'll read, some cross over to the enemy. Some are hiding, some are shaking in fear. It's a really, I mean, it's a really difficult situation to be in. And this is exactly the time the people need a king. This is where they need a leader. This is where they need somebody to, to speak into the situation. And, and, and what does Saul need to do here? He doesn't need to create a, a, a really wonderful battle plan. He doesn't need to give an explanation of what's happening. He doesn't need to understand the, the, the dynamics that are going on around them. What's his job here? His job here is to tell the people, Samuel's coming. God's going to tell, and then will tell us what to do. Let's wait together. What does, Samuel, what does Saul have to do? He doesn't have to make up anything new. He has to remind the people about what God's already said. Just just stick with it. Remember what God has done. Remember all the things he's done in the past. We know Samuel's coming. Stick to what God has already said. But it doesn't seem to be any sense of him talking with others, only feeling it by himself. There's no heart to serve. And then secondly, there doesn't seem to be a heart to seek. There doesn't seem to be a heart to seek. This is what Samuel has said to him. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, and I'll surely come down to you and sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. You must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That's, that, that's what he has to do. But in the, in the very understandable fear as people are deserting, and you can see the army that's going to attack you getting bigger and bigger. And your army's getting smaller and smaller. And he just can't wait. Because kings don't wait. Kings, king, kings have other people wait for them. You have people, if you're king, you have others wait for you. You, you don't wait. But this is, this is a king in Israel. This is a king in God's people. And, and the prophet still is going to come and speak as to what needs to happen. But Saul knowingly, knowingly disobeys God. It, it, it's like the whole thing's going round and round in his mind. It's not coming out of his mouth, but it's going round and round in his mind. He's got his excuses all lined up and he's going to do it. He could have sent those 600 men out to try and find Samuel. He could have called out to God. He could have said, let's, let's, let's get together. Let's, let's try and see God. What's he doing here? What's he saying? And I just have this niggle with Saul. I, I can relate to him on so many levels, but 
as you trace his story, he just doesn't seem to talk about God a great deal. And he doesn't seem to talk to God a great deal either. Because David, his successor, will come along and David will make some pretty big mistakes as well. D- David doesn't live a perfect life. He, he, he does some pretty awful things towards the end, particularly. And, and there will be consequences to those. But he's still a man after God's own heart. He's still somebody who is, enjoys that relationship with God. And what's the difference? Well, at least on one level, it seems to me that David takes his problems to God. He takes his struggles to God. He takes his failures to God. He takes his fears to God. He takes his popularity to God. He takes his decisions to God. He talks with God. He battles with God. He complains to God. He cries out to God. He believes in God. He trusts in God. Saul's response seems to be entirely of his own engineering. He knows he shouldn't do it. He has his excuses lined up, but he can't see another way out. It's just so inward. It's so his own, um, it's his own thought process. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, as he meets Samuel, Samuel, it says, when I saw the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and the Philistines were assembling, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. It's the people's fault. It's your fault for being late. It's the Philistines' fault for for attacking. It's God's fault for needing this sacrifice and not providing the right person. But it's all in his own dialogue. It's all inside. And he actively disobeys while he's got his excuses lined up. We, We can probably associate with that. We probably know what that feels like. What's noticeable to me as you look back through the, the, the Bible, and, and particularly those who find themselves in a situation like Saul here, the, the, the military leaders, even up to this point in the scriptures, haven't all been brilliant tacticians. They haven't been all even that brave. But they've done it with and through God. Gideon reasoned with God, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't want to give somebody else. I'm the least of mine but he reasons with God. Samson makes lots of mistakes, but cries out to God. Abraham talks with God. Moses asks for somebody else to go, but he's talking to him. Jacob wrestles with God. Saul does it by himself. At this moment, he's doing it by himself. And, and, and after, after these consequences are given to him, that the kingship's going to move from his family. It's another 20 years before that before before that ultimate um, real descent as he goes to visit the witch of Endor and, and ends up taking his life on the battlefield. But is there a sense of Saul crying out to God who's merciful? Is there a sense of him reaching out to him? A God who loves to be merciful. This is what God says to Jeremiah after the, the nation are in a real pickle at this point. And he goes to... To, to watch the potter at work. And God says, Can I not do with Israel as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of a potter, so you are in my hand. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdoms to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I'll repent and not inflict on them the disaster I had planned. 
Saul's problem was something in his was in his heart, and, and it's going to be evidenced in, with increasing frequency as we travel through the next couple of chapters. So, what does this mean for us? <laughs> what does it mean for us today? Well, I think it's always useful to have a heart checkup before you have a heart attack. It's always useful to have a check on what's going on in our hearts before, before, before it's very serious. So what I want us to, to do as, as we close is to ask ourselves some questions about, so what, what's going on with my heart? What's going on in, in my heart at the moment? What's going on in my world? Am I bringing that to God? Am I seeking him in my questions? Am I asking him for something in prayer? Am I praising him in worship? Am I walking with him in the ordinary? Am I wrestling with him in the confusing? Am I resting in him in the things I don't understand? Am I seeking him and am I serving others? Am I seeing, loving others? One of the beautiful promises that God gives us is that he'll take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of, of, of flesh, a heart that beats, a heart that promotes life, a heart that feels, a heart that is soft, a heart that's sensitive. And that's something we can only do as, as he comes to do it for us. This is the wonderful thing about being a Christian. Is it not that we see a problem and then we, we resolve to work hard to be better or nicer or kinder. But we say, I can't do this. And the Lord says, good. Because I can. And we say, sorry Lord for our sins, our things we've done and thought and said that have been wrong and we... We recognize that Jesus has paid the price for those sins and we invite him into our lives to live within us, to give us a new heart, to love others and to love God. And that's something we can do anytime, anywhere. And that's something you can do this morning if you would like. Maybe you are a Christian this morning. Maybe you are following God. As the band come to this stage, I want to ask us if we can do, do one little bit of reflection as they as they get ready what i'd like to, you to do is i'd like you to to close your eyes there's nothing <laughs> nothing's going to happen <laughs> but i want just to, as a way of, of of just blocking out external stuff just so just so you can can think for yourself leave them open if you want but it's just a way of thinking for yourself and i want you to think what are the headlines in my life at the moment What's the headlines? What, what, what are the, what, what's the big stuff that's happening in my life at the moment? And, and be honest. Be, be honest. <laughs> the Lord already knows. And then I want to ask you, invite you just to, in the quietness of your own heart, nobody else needs to know, just to bring it before God. To seek him in it. Is it disappointment? Bring it before him. Is it fear? Talk to him about it. Is it joy? Is it expectations? Is it hurt? Take your feelings, your thoughts, your emotions, the big stuff, the little stuff, 
and bring it before the Lord. Invite him into it. Seek him in the ordinary. And then think, are there opportunities for me to serve others? Are there opportunities for me to serve others? What does that look like this week? What does it look like? And, and, and be practical, be specific. It might be that you, it might be that you say, I, I, want to, um, I want to carve out a couple of hours with my husband or my wife. Well, that's not very spiritually. And yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Do you want to take one of the children for ice cream? Do you want to go around to see a neighbour? Do you want to, to, is there somebody in your, in your home group who, who just needs a, a message or a letter or a card? Is there a team that you would like to serve with? Is there somebody, as we finish this service, maybe we can ask the Lord, Lord, may I, uh, may I see people as I walk out? Give me the courage to talk to somebody who's on their own. And it's difficult because we don't want to and we want to just get home and it's already costly being here. Talk, just talk, just give them five minutes of your undivided attention. Is there a way we can seek him and serve others? Ask him to soften our hearts in the little things that we might find him in everything. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can explore it together. And Father, my prayer is that by your spirit, you might speak to us. Lord, we don't want to just bumble on through life, but we want to, to know you more and see more of your activity and work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.